We wasted a good year uh, of time because in the beginning when we did our visualizations um, in the charts, um, they were very hard-coded. Oh, you wanted a bar chart? We went and built a bar chart. Oh, you want a line chart? We went and built a line chart. Oh, you want a candlestick chart? We built a candlestick chart. As the visualizations people were looking for became more and more eccentric, it became too overwhelming to try to build out of the box custom-made charts each time. And so we ended up throwing that out and replacing it with basic, basically a math engine where now you can say, I want to build a chart. And, and now we have some, you know, our customers have built extremely sophisticated charts. I'm Robert Cook, the CTO and founder of 3Forge. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart. Today, how Robert Cook built the high-performance data platform to enable developers to create enterprise apps rapidly. All this and more on Code Story. Ever since he was a little kid, Robert Cook always had a fascination with computers. Even when he was super young, when he didn't know much about them, he was still intrigued by this magic box. At the same time, he loved Legos, but found it was very expensive to expand his Lego set. To contrast that, he could build as big as he wanted within a computer. And he was hooked. He built video games, explored databases, and even an accounting system in his teens. As he started validating a new idea, Robert visited a number of top-tier banks and looked for consistency in the problem they were facing. He found a starting point to build out a data platform to enable his three pillars of data delivery. This is the creation story of 3Forge. So 3Forge, we have a core product called AMI. That product really is answering the question that I've been asking my whole life, which is how do you interact or how do you integrate users with data? So the company was founded in 2012. Prior to that, I worked at several uh, companies in finance, uh, including JP Morgan, Bear Stearns. I uh, was the head of architecture at uh, or infrastructure at the Dark Pool LiquidNet. And all along the way, I always had this, this fascination and this vision of building this sort of generic solution where, you know, we could start to tie data together across multiple systems or to be specific with finance across different asset classes and allow people to have this consolidated view. Now, at some point, I would realize in each one of these instances that, you know, these are, these are banks, these are financial institutions that have a very clear incentive and a very clear objective as to what they need to build. And really creating generic technology, while I could get funding for it in drips and drabs, became difficult to do. And so in 2012, I basically stepped outside of the industry and basically spent the next two years building a what I would consider a minimum viable product in order to go in and sell this back to the banks so that they could start to work on this. The product itself, well, let's forget about the product. The solution, I focus on three different areas. And so this is what I've, what I've come to realize when I say um, allowing humans to interact with data. I break it into three components. The first component is real-time streaming data. So the idea there is that you've got moving information going through systems and then users, that information needs to be pushed to users. The analogy I like to use, the easiest one to, to, to consume is emails. 
someone sends an email and it magically shows up on your screen. Right? You don't have to do anything. It just shows up on your screen. You've been alerted to something. The second component is the ability to now navigate data or to uh, basically, as I call it, make a request and get a response. So an example there would be Google. So you go to your Google browser and you type in a keyword and now it comes back with a bunch of different machines you can buy. So that comes back on the screen and now you can choose what automated dog feeder you want. Um, so that would be request response. And then the third thing is data entry. And so I've distilled it down to those three things. You need to have real-time streaming data, you need to be able to do request response, and you need to be able to data entry. In each one of these, I could go down a path and spend hours talking about the intricacies and what it takes to really fully fledged build that out. Because again, with emails, you have one email. Well, what happens in finance if you have 10,000 orders come in at once? How do you manage that? How do you make that consumable? Now you talk about request response. You know, one thing is, is going and asking Google a question. Another thing is if you've got hundreds of different systems and you need to ask a question and it needs to basically dispatch that across many systems, bring the answer back, consolidate it, aggregate it, and give that to a user. So that's an example of where that can get more complicated. And then data entry speaks for itself. Data entry can be as, as complex or as simple as you want it, especially once you start to get it in, into workflows and things like that. That is AMI. And then 3Forge is the company. Uh, and, and really the company's broken down into two parts. It is the development and maintenance of, the, of AMI itself. And then there's working with our customers on building integrated solutions and integrating it inside their you know, uh, four walls so that they can use that software. Tell me about the MVP for AMI then. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So in the beginning, um, in 2012, I, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of people who worked in the industry and I could shop ideas around. So I went to various you know, tier one banks and I kind of talked about what it is I wanted to make. And I was kind of looking for some consistency in terms of the problems they were facing and how maybe I could get a step in and help them solve it. One of the biggest issues that they were facing back in 2012 and they still face today is real-time data. So they need blotters. Everything in their world, or a big part of the world, especially when you get to front office in, in, in investment banks, is we need to have a blotter that shows huge amounts of data and allows us to do all the things you'd expect from a blotter. I need to be able to sort it. I need to be able to filter it. I need to be able to export it, those sorts of things. So our MVP that got us in the door was the ability to attach to many different systems. And basically as that data streamed into AMI, put it in a dashboard in real time where then people could walk across the data. So if you imagine you've got system A and system B, that are both pumping data out. They could be both pumped into AMI. And then through our dashboard, you could link the data together. So you could say, oh, when I click on this data, find all the data from system B with the same account. Um, so that was the minimum product, minimum viable product that put us on the map. And uh, our first early adopter was, was in 2014. And then it's been you know, off to the races since then. So, so how did you progress the product from there and, and mature it? I think you know, put that in a box. How do you go about building your roadmap and deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? Over time, I've looked at the customer base because we basically do a subscription model. And the idea with the subscription model is once you're subscribed to the product, you get all updates to the product over time. Um, and it's basically this kind of fixed subscription thing. And what's happened is our customers 
basically have been coming to us. I, I almost think of it as a consortium. So our customers, our customer base really is a consortium. You know, we're always trying to engage, engage with them and say, what are the features and functionalities you're looking for? What are the pain points you're seeing now? And it, it's, it's actually maybe not surprising to me. It, it, in hindsight, it's not surprising, but it was always amazing that it seemed as though at the same time, everyone wanted the same thing. So the roadmap, it, it was almost obvious once you would talk to the customers. It's like after we did the real-time tables, we went back and they said, look, you know, this is great. We can see our orders. We can see all the stuff in real time. We want charts. I mean, we want the ability to basically see across the day, you know, this is what we expect to see on a given day. This is our average daily volume. Where are we today? And every day I want to see that in a chart, in some sort of visualization. So that drove that. And then once we had that done, it was, well, I want to be able to click on an item in a chart and be able to find out all the underlying data for that. And again, all of a sudden everyone comes back with that again. Okay, so we build that out. And then it becomes, okay, now that I found that piece of data, I want to be able to double click on it and edit it and send something over to someone else. Okay, so then we add that. So the roadmap has been largely driven by our customer base. You know, our, our job as 3Forge is to take these specific examples and look for the underlying problem solution, which is, you know, d distilling these very specific things. When I click on a bar that is showing my current volume for the day, I want to see all the orders for that day. That's a specific example. The generic solution we've come up with is the ability to build relationships between charts and historical tables. And now it becomes a configuration because all of our customers, they do it in a slightly different way. So the roadmap's pretty clear. The, the, the interesting thing is how do we solve it in a, in a generic data agnostic way? How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? I'll go back to my, my when I was a kid and I got into computers. You know, in the beginning, when I was first into computers, to me, it was just trying to figure out how to like, I mean, I'll be honest, my my direct family or friends, they didn't really know anything about computers. So I really had to learn it all from scratch. So in the beginning, it was a very sort of rote exercise of how do you change a directory? How do you actually like access your, your floppy disks and all of this sort of stuff? And then at some point when I got more involved, I realized, wait a second, this is really all coming down to math. When you start to really build and implement solutions with any sophistication at all, it becomes a math problem and it becomes an architecture problem. So I always tell everyone, I, I can teach someone how to program. It's very hard to teach someone math. I mean, you know, credit to math teachers and calculus teachers and all that. So for me, I always look for people with good math. And, and actually the way I can tell, my interviews always revolve around data structures because data structures are largely a math problem. Basically, how can you organize data so you can access it as quickly as possible? And the other thing I get into also is um, how would you, you know, if you're given a complex set of data, what sort of plan would you put in place, aka a query planner if you want to be technical, what would be the plan to try to navigate and solve that as quickly as possible if you were a computer? Um, so it's very high level. I try not to get into actual language idiosyncrasies too much and really just focus on the math part of it. And, and that's what we've done and that's who I've hired and I'm very proud of our team. So let's talk about scalability then. So was this built to scale efficiently and you know, particularly referring to AMI, efficiently from day one or have you been fighting this as you've grown and gained traction? The, the thing I focused on from day one was scalability. 
Now, 2011 is when I started this. And the first thing I focused on how was how do you get a message from point A to point B very quickly and very efficiently and very reliably and low latency, things along those lines. Because I knew that as soon as this product was adopted, immediately lots of users would come on and people would add more and more systems. And as more and more systems are added, scalability becomes important. And I've noticed the number one reason that systems ultimately fail and meet their demise is because they do not scale. And so that is something I focused on 100% from the beginning. And of course, we've had to do more instrumentation around it since then to make it easier for things to scale. But the, the, the core concepts were there from the beginning. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? We've built a lot of stuff, so it might depend on the day of the week. It's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. I think the most interesting thing was actually the query planner, the, the database query planner. And it's something that is, is almost an art in a way, and I think it's almost a lost art. And so I think I'm most proud of the query planning that our system has. And I'll give you an example, which is you have two sets of data and then you simply want to join that together. What, one way to do that would be to just do a loop inside a loop. And that would be very, very expensive. You loop through all the data in one, you loop through all the data in the other, and then you find the matches and you do that. So you're much better off um, trying to figure out how to either swing up temp indexes or something along those lines. But the whole idea is the more time your, your computer's spending on coming up with the query plan, that's also eating away at the user's time. So the idea is to very quickly arrive at a plan and execute that plan. And it's got to work perfectly every time. So anyways, that, that's my passion has been, has been focusing on the query planning inside of our data system. Um, so I don't know if I'm most proud of that, but, but it's my favorite part. So I'll, I'll choose that. Well, well, let's flip the script a little bit then. So, so tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I'll tell you the mistakes that we've made have always been not thinking abstractly enough about the problem. So, so I'll give you an example. So today, our charting solution is actually very math-based. So we have wizards that will let you build a bar chart, as an example. But really, if you, if you actually double-clicked and you started editing it, and you can do this sort of thing to customize it, you'll, you'll realize that the bar chart is nothing but us rendering rectangles and lines and et cetera, et cetera, and everything is generic. We wasted a good year uh, of time because in the beginning when we did our visualizations um, and the charts, uh, they were very hard-coded. Oh, you wanted a bar chart? We went and built a bar chart. Oh, you want a line chart? We went and built a line chart. Oh, you want a candlestick chart? We built a candlestick chart. And then as the visualizations people were looking for became more and more eccentric, it became too overwhelming to try to build out of the box custom-made charts each time. And so we ended up throwing that out and replacing it with basic, basically a math engine where now you can say, I want to build a chart. And, and now we have some, you know, our customers have built extremely sophisticated charts because once you learn how to use the math to build these charts, you can do very sophisticated things. So that's one example. I think we made lots of examples, but I don't want to spend the whole, whole hour talking about all the mistakes of 3Forge. Well, well, what does the future look like for maybe AMI, but, but 3Forge in general and, and, and for the team there? The, the company's you know, grown very organically. Um, the last few years has been, I, I, I dare say, hockey stick moment because I try to avoid those sort of you know, uh, <laughs> catchy terms. But um, we opened a, a London office in 2020. Um, we opened a Singapore office in 2021. 
We've always advertised our product as being able to tie lots of systems together. What's the first thing our customers did? They used it to tie lots of systems together. And those systems happen to be international systems. So one of the things we've helped our customers solve is, let's just pick fixed income. They have a fixed income trading system that's sitting in Asia, APAC, they have another one in Europe and they have another one in America and they, they, they follow the sun, which means they have a desk that, you know, anytime you call in, you're going to be routed to one of those three locations. So the, so basically the desk is always open, but the systems weren't integrated very well. So what's the first thing they do? They use our stuff to integrate those together. So they have a, a global view across asset classes and across regions. So that meant we needed a global desk. So that's something that we have focused very heavily on is having ourselves having a global support desk so that we can support our customers. So in terms of the company and kind of the, um, the dynamics around you know how we're we're becoming more global that's that's where the future is and i think we've got a few other locations that we're considering as well as um, as we expand in terms of the product itself there's actually so much we can do it is it I, i'm having the time of my life to be honest because there's so many different angles and so many the more it's like every time we solve a problem it opens three more doors of more problems that we can help our customers solve. You know, and like I go back all the way to the beginning, it's just it's just us versus the computer and the smarter we can be, the bigger the problems we can solve. Right now, what we're focusing on is how do we and this is something that we've we've just gotten a beta customer and we're working with them on now, but it's how do you aggregate millions and millions of of messages coming in each minute? How do you aggregate that up and and basically give a consolidated view in very, very real time for very large sets of data. And this, as an example, this becomes important for what they call limit checks. So the idea is if you can imagine you're a bank, you have thousands and thousands of accounts as the different desks for a given account all try to submit orders of different types, you need to be constantly checking that they haven't exceeded their limit. An analogy I would use, a simple analogy would be myself and my wife, we both have a credit card that draws on the same credit card account. Now, theoretically, I could go and try to exceed the limit at the same exact time as my wife exceeds the limit. One of us should get through and the other should get blocked. So that's a very simple example of a limit check. How do you do that on a global level when you don't just have a husband and wife, you have a desk with hundreds of people that are, that are trading very sophisticated instruments with a changing price all the time. Anyways, so those are the sorts of things we're looking at now. So I think the future is wide open. Let's put it that way. Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I believe that we're here, Three Forge is where we're at, because A, really hard work, but B, luck. You know, I, I do think, and, and I think I was lucky to have had people that were willing to take a chance on me. And the, the thing is, if I could do it again, I think I could have mitigated some of that luck and, and had, I, I look back, I mean, there were definitely moments where, wow, if we don't get this customer, we don't get this use case, this is going to be very tough to keep going. And fortunate, and fortunately, each one of those steps we came through and the right people, you know, were, were willing to take a chance on us. If I could do it again, I think I would have probably, I, I, I certainly would have been much more disciplined listening to exactly what our customers want, getting commitments up front, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I don't, with a, with a bit of humility, we are where we are and, and it worked out. But I think, uh, yeah, we needed some luck to get here. Well, last question, Robert. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. 
What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Well, I'll tell you one thing that, that, that we did, that I did, was I never took down any funding. And the reason I, I didn't take down any funding was I felt that once I did that, I would have, to, I would have a bias towards the product I needed to build. Um, I don't know if that's very good advice, though. So I think my advice <laughs> to that person sitting on the plane is probably don't do what I did. Try to try to get enough funding, either through a Kickstarter or this and that, to make sure that you have the resources necessary to to execute it. I had a few ideas that that didn't work, and you need to be willing to let that go. And as you do that turn, you can quickly arrive at a product. You can more quickly arrive at a product that that customers are interested. in. You know, and I think if, if someone's sitting on the plane and they've already built the product, well, I hope they've at least talked to potential customers to see if it's something that, you know, that's viable, that, that people want. Don't be shy. You know, uh, people love giving advice. It's a form of nostalgia, you know, and, uh, and, and don't be shy to ask for it. And, and, and again, if I could do it again, I, I, I definitely would have been you know, more, more, more customer focused from the beginning. That's great advice. Well, Robert, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Three Forge. Absolutely. Yes, thank you for having me on. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Coat Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save